The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. We are reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. A man came up to Jesus, knelt down before him, and said, Lord, have pity on me, my son, who is a lunatic and suffers severely. Often he falls into fire and often into water. I brought to him your disciples, but they could not queer him. Jesus said in reply, O faithless and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I endure you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him. And from that hour, the boy was cured. Then the disciples approached Jesus in private and said, Why could we not drive it out? He said to them, Because of your lack of faith. Amen, I say to you, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. For the last couple weeks in our first reading, we have been hearing the challenging account of the miracle-filled and yet painful and difficult journey of Israel from their slavery in Egypt to their entry into the Promised Land. And it's important that we understand that as miraculous as the events that we have been hearing about are, it was a torturous journey. And it was a torturous journey because of the state of the hearts of the people that time and time again, even as the Lord performs something outstanding to deliver them, they refuse to trust in the Lord. They cling to their self-reliance, they cling to their fear, they cling to their insecurity. And so it is over and over again despite all that the Lord does for them, as soon as a difficulty presents itself, the same lack of trust, the same lack of faith asserts itself. For those of you who've ever felt somebody has taken you for granted, you have a sense of how the Lord must feel. This notion that I won't trust you unless I see you do something for me right now. Which basically means I'm never going to trust you because I need to keep seeing that. The idea of lack of faith preventing us from moving forward is not a new thing and not unique to what we hear from the lips of Jesus in the Gospel. And so this instruction that the Lord gives through Moses to the people as they find themselves on the doorstep of the Holy Land 
and Moses who will not be journeying into the Holy Land with them, gives one last teaching. And he reminds them that the freedom into which they are moving is not their right, and it is not their achievement. Because they didn't win it for themselves. And when they go into this new land and experience prosperity, it will not be a prosperity that they made for themselves, but that has been set up waiting for them by somebody else. You're going to go into a land with wells already there that you didn't dig, with vineyards ready to be harvested that you didn't plant. You are going to a place of blessing that you didn't earn, that you didn't achieve, but I have given you. Just like their movement from slavery to freedom was not their national achievement, it was something that God did for them. And the fact that they survived in the desert when it was their lack of faith that kept them there was not because they worked so hard, but because God every day gave them food. And note, to this people that hasn't appreciated or said thank you in a real way, all this time, the Lord is saying, and you can almost see, he's like, I'm setting myself up for disappointment again. When you go into this land with prosperity and goodness waiting for you, don't forget the one who gave it to you. Don't forget how you got here. Because you didn't get yourself here. In fact, if you cooperated with God a little more, you'd have got here sooner. But it has been given to you. If we're honest with ourselves, how, how many of us can say that about our own lives, too? Where we fixate on what goes wrong, where we are so preoccupied by what doesn't work or by what we don't have, or what upsets us or troubles us, that even though we are sort of aware of the goodness in our lives, we pay it no attention. We forget about it. We begin taking one another for granted. We begin assuming that all of the happiness we have is the result of our own hard work, and it's not. Not one of us gave himself or herself life. Not one of us gave himself or herself the talents that we use to make our way in the world. They were given to us. Not one of us is in the church as a member by his or her own achievement alone. Someone helped get us here. Freedom, real freedom, real goodness, real happiness, these things are not first and foremost achievements their gifts. They're the fruit of faith. They're the fruit of trust. 
Because real freedom comes from God. Real happiness is found in God. Not in what I've accomplished. Not in my family. Not in my career. As good as all these things can be. None of them is the fullness of happiness. None of them is the fullness of life. That is found only in God. And so now we have this incident in the gospel, which uses very disturbing language. My son is a lunatic. I wonder how many times my mother, in exasperation, said the same thing when I was growing up. And so on the one hand, we have that voice of frustrated parents across the centuries. I can't do anything with this guy. But there's something deeper and more painful there. There's something out of control in one that I love. There's a madness that's taken up residence in his heart and in his life. And he doesn't even recognize how it's destroying him. All too much of our world is marked by a madness like this. The various forms of social dysfunction that we deal with. The ways the brokenness in our own households has tragically asserted itself. All of these impulses and urges that hijack our lives, that sweep us along with them in a destructive way, and we don't even recognize how destructive it is when we're caught in the middle of it. Because the movement is so powerful and there's so much energy there. But there's something out of control. So on the one hand, this is the cry of a father who is grieving over what is happening to his son. But on the other hand, this is a statement that could be said about the world from the very beginning since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. There's a madness that takes over our lives. A madness alive in the world and we can't control it. And we don't know how to stop it, and we're overwhelmed by it. We don't have to look very hard around us today to see that that's true. And when we look at it, there is that temptation to be frightened and to be overwhelmed because it's dangerous and out of control in a way that is so much bigger than we are. And we have to hear that cry in the gospel. It is not an accident that the Holy Spirit uses that word lunatic. Because the Spirit of God wants to get our attention with that word. This is not something small. This is not something ordinary. And yet it's something all too tragically common in life and in the world. There is a certain lunacy that afflicts the human heart. And when we see it take hold of a person or a group of people, it's frightening and it's overwhelming and we don't know where to turn. So that is the cry that comes to Jesus here. You know, and it's a cry. It's a cry that still is sounded. You know, those times where a person whose life is completely out of control. We have those in our circle of friends and acquaintances. And they come and they say, pray for me. And we think, where do I even start? How do I even begin? 
And we find ourselves in the position of those disciples. Do something about my son who's lost his mind. And you can imagine these poor followers of Jesus saying, why are you coming to me? What am I going to do about something as difficult and dangerous as that? Where I'm not Jesus. Where do I start? And yet the world does look to the church. Curiously enough, even those who reject the idea of belief will turn to the church saying, fix what's broken in me. And it is an overwhelming and frightening thing. So we have here first a reminder. The madness of the world doesn't go away. And from time to time, the church and its members are confronted by it. Because someone who's overwhelmed by the madness of life says, can you do something to make it at least a little bit better? This is an important gospel reading. This is not just a story about what Jesus did. It's a story about how the world in its craziness meets us. This is why at the very beginning of his papacy, Pope Francis very beautifully said, before it is anything else, the church is a hospital for those who have been broken and wounded by the sin of the world. And when somebody comes and they're in the danger of bleeding to death, you do what you can. And you treat that, you don't worry about the small things. Sometimes we get so fixated on the small things, we let people bleed out right in front of us because the real wound is someplace else. And so this is the real woundedness of the world calling out to the church saying, do something because nobody else can. You know, why does this man come seeking the disciples and Jesus? Because nobody else can do a thing. There are realities in this world that human effort on its own, that social progress on its own, will never solve. Only God. Because only the Lord can take sin away. And only the Lord can heal that deep wound that sits in every human heart and that all too often so tragically asserts itself in dramatic ways in some human hearts. And the disciples try. To their credit, they tried. They gave it their best shot. But the madness was greater than what they could do. And if that sounds familiar, Welcome to the club. This again, this experience we have of the world being intractably difficult and out of our control is nothing new. It goes back at least 2,000 years, we hear it in this gospel. And believers have struggled with this since then. And so if you experience a certain familiarity in what is being said here this morning, welcome to the body of Christ. 
because this is something the body of Christ runs up against more than anybody else does. Because we deal not just with our own woundedness and the woundedness of our own families, but with all of those wounded who come seeking us out. And so it is that they come to Jesus and say, why is it? Why is it that we couldn't do this, that we couldn't overcome this? And note the Lord's answer, it's because you don't have faith. It's your faith is lacking. The Lord here is saying, it's not about how hard you try. It's not about coming up with the right program. It's a matter of how greatly you trust the power of God and the goodness of God. You notice how we get practical right away when we have a problem? And that's natural, it's a necessary skill. But what happens is, right away we go into problem-solving mode. If we do this, 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 and this, hopefully it will fix the situation or change it for the better. Know what Jesus is saying? Before you do that, why don't you turn to the one that you need to trust to be with you? And unite your will and your heart and your motivations to him so that this isn't your undertaking. This isn't your project. Because there's only one healer. And it's not you or me. It's Jesus Christ. What, a, what an important and powerful teaching that is. And so, one of the questions is, when confronted with all of this, we have to recognize that all too often, like ancient Israel, our first reaction is to be frightened, to be overwhelmed, and then to try and fix everything on our own. And the difficult lesson the Lord has been trying to teach his people across the centuries is step one, is trust me. Step one is open yourself to me. Because how can you help another open to Christ if your heart is still closed? How can you encourage somebody else to trust Jesus when you don't? It's just empty words then. Let your trust grow. Let your confidence grow. So that you act in faith. And so that we're clear. When the Lord gives that example of, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, get up, and it would get up. What the Lord is not saying is that faith is a magic power. And that when I have faith, all I have to do is snap my fingers and instantly things get better. Okay, that is not what Jesus is saying. All too many of us hear this and we try really hard to force ourselves to feel that we believe. And then what do we do? We say the words and we're disappointed in the outcome. This is not kind of an automatic where the Lord is at our beck and call. That's not faith. That's not trust. That's our using God as an ATM machine. I punch in my pin, I request how much I need, and he gives it to me. That is not how this works. That is not faith. That's a transaction. To trust the Lord is that things will happen in his time. And it's when we ask according to his will 
not according to our desires. Note the power of faith. First, it changes my thinking. First, it changes what I desire and how I ask. If I ask the same old way, I haven't grown in faith. I'm just asking for stuff. That's not faith. That's hoping to get something. But when I learn to ask rightly and seek rightly, then things begin to happen. And it may not be that the mountain moves right away. It may be that the faith which has been animated in me sets my life in motion so that the mountain begins to move. And little by little, over time, in his time, the mountain's gone. It's not always immediate. It's not always a snapping of the fingers. But the only program that saves, the only program that heals, is the plan of God. How good it is that we could be here, in this place dedicated to Our Lady, before this rock which reminds us of the rock of an exceedingly great faith, which is hers. Because after saying all of that, we might just sit here and say, Father, that's really good, but I don't know when or if I'm ever going to get to that kind of faith. And that's an honest thing to feel and an important thing to feel. But the other side of it is, it's never just about your faith or my faith. The sacraments are effective because of the church's faith, not because of the priests or the people's, but the faith of the church. And we've been saved not because of our faith. We've been saved because of a great act of faith which has given rise to every other act of faith in history. Our Lady said, let it be with me according to your word. And her faith is what Jesus uses to come into the world, not yours. Jesus came to you not because of your faith, but because of hers. Notice, as we gather here today, my faith might be tiny. Hers isn't. My ability to trust might be limited. Hers isn't. Note how marvelous that is. We don't have to pray alone. We don't have to ask alone. And that is a very, very great thing. So even as we come forward for Holy Communion today, let us unite our hearts with our ladies. And as we stretch out our hands to him, let us say, strengthened by her faith, what the apostles said to Jesus. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Strengthen my faith. It's a good prayer, a great thing to ask for. And let that mountain of insecurity begin to move in our hearts so that we can meet the mountains of difficulty that wait for us in this world. Amen.